Good morning, everyone. We find ourselves today in Genesis chapter 6, a very important chapter. Before I get started, uh, I want to say, you know, it's really been great doing these audio podcasts. I had in the past done more video, and uh, I've really enjoyed being able to do these audios as you know, it, it's a little bit more flexible for me to be able to do it. I find myself this morning in Kansas City. I'm here to go to a wedding um, before I leave for Israel tomorrow. And I'm actually in McDonald's right now. Um, so you're going to hear probably a little bit more noise than you would normally hear in the background. But I'm thankful for this opportunity to, uh, to still be able to bring the Word of God to you all today. It's such an amazing and significant chapter uh, today. So let's get started. Now it happened when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were in good appearance. And they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then Yahweh said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he indeed is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. So let me begin by saying, you know, there are some things in the Bible that are, and we're going to touch on these as we begin today, that are, are kind of mysterious. And, you know, there will be a lot of expositors who will have a different view of what God's Word is saying. And perhaps I will share one today, but I want to say that this is, some of the stuff that we may debate about, I don't think is all that significant. And some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning at the onset, I don't believe are overall that significant to our understanding of Scripture. Um, so some people believe that, like, who are these? It says the sons of God saw that the daughters of men. Who, who are the sons of God and who are the daughters of men? And again, don't really know. Uh, I've heard some say that maybe these daughters are uh, from Cain's family, and you know the line of God and the line of Jesus came through Seth, and maybe people are starting to marry from the from the daughters of Cain. Again, we don't really know. Then it says in verse three, "My spirit shall not strive with man forever." And that's interesting too. You know, when you look at the Old Testament. From what we've seen so far, uh, we see that that Enoch walked with God. We're going to see in a moment that Noah walked with God. We saw that with Seth's line, people began to call on God, and yet, as we'll see today, wickedness is on the loose, sins on the loose. There's corruption in mankind, but to some extent, God's spirit was available to mankind. But it seemed as though it was few that really experienced it or sought it. And for the most part, man was wayward. Um, then it says this, but indeed he, he, indeed he is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. And as you know, people in the early set of the Bible prior to the flood lived a long time. And now that's going to significantly change after the flood where people are going to live in lengths more like what we live, uh, it's very possible that 
that God just blessed them in a unique way, that the atmospheric conditions prior to the flood were different than what we have now. Again, that's another mystery we really don't know. But we do know that after this, people's lifespans mimic more of our own. Then we have another kind of mysterious part to chapter 6 here. It says where the Nephilim, this giants essentially, were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. And we hear about this Nephilim a couple of times, few times in Scripture. Uh, it almost seems like um, men that were larger, stronger, more renowned, more uh, noticeable that they were different than the rest of mankind. But again, not much is said, not much is told to us, and I don't find it really significant to our overall understanding of God who these Nephilim were. Some people are more gravitated to wanting to understand all these things, and sometimes they want to understand so much that they might even almost force themselves to come up with an explanation that they're satisfied with, when really, ultimately, we don't know what the Nephilim are. I think it could even be, to be honest with you, like just sometimes there's things in the Bible, you know, like for instance, if you read the book of Job, which was a very early writing in the Bible, not everything those guys said was of God, especially Job's friends. Sometimes they said things that were inaccurate. So we have things recorded in Scripture that men said that God wanted recorded, but aren't always, um, aren't always exactly accurate. They can be kind of like fables. Um, when God is teaching us something from his word, we can trust it to be true. But sometimes men recorded things like here that it's, it, it's hard to discern whether it was true. It may have been something that mankind um, exaggerated. And let me explain to you why I think that is actually a, could be an explanation for these Nephilim. If you were to go forward to Numbers, and you go to Numbers 13. And in Numbers <clears throat> 13, it is a report of when God sent spies from Israel into the Promised Land to check on it and then to report back what they saw before they went and took the Promised Land. This is when they're you know, going to come out of the desert through the leadership of Moses. And when the spies went, some of them didn't want to go. They, they didn't really want to go into the promised land, and they wanted to come back and convince the people that the people of the promised land were too strong and basically to, to make them fear so that they did not have to go and, and do this. And so that spy account in Numbers 13 says, um, this is what the, the spies who were not accurate said. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. This is verse 28. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of Negev, and the Hittites and the Jubazites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living in the sea by the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we are surely able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, 
which they had spied out, saying, The land which we have passed through to spy out on is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Basically, all these men were huge. They were Nephilim, and we can't even measure up. We're like grasshoppers to them. And they tried to convince God's people not to go. So uh, there, this was a bad report. It was not a true report. It was actually kind of like a fable. It was like made up in order to get the people not to go. So we know that it's not an accurate account in Numbers 13. Um, I don't know what to tell you. You know, I think I've already spent enough time talking about Nephilim. There's very few places in the scripture where it's really mentioned. And I wouldn't trouble yourself with it. I don't think it's uh, significant to really what we're going to be learning the rest of the time here today in Genesis 6, which is really profound and important. So let's move on to verse 5. Then Yahweh saw that the evil of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And Yahweh regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Wow, what a what sadness on the face of God when he saw what his creation had done with their multiplication. And this is when it's really critical to understand what I call the grand purpose of God. I've made a statement. Um, I'll see if I can remember it accurately, my own statement. But I believe the grand purpose of God is that we would reflect the image and likeness of God and seek to multiply that image and likeness of God in people throughout the nations. So essentially that the mission of God is that he has made us in his image and likeness, especially now in the new covenant. We have become born again, born anew in him. We have been given the spirit of God. We have been given strength and the spirit to be able to resemble, reflect the image and likeness of God and that he wants us to now invest our lives into people to make disciples of all nations recalling that Jesus was the image and likeness of God. He came to earth to reveal who God was so we could know him better. He invested his life into other people so that they could learn more what it meant to be like him and share his mission. And then he called them to go and make disciples, to make people in God's likeness, to make pupils students who would reflect who Jesus was. And and he said, you know, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded and He gave them the Holy Spirit for that mission. So I really see the mission of God and what he desired was a a people, a family that would expand within themselves who God was to the rest of the world. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve's sin brought sin into mankind. And when they multiplied, instead of multiplying what God desired, they multiplied sin. And basically this grand initial experiment is showing that man, man's failing. Man's failing to live to God's standard. And what God, God has the desire or God has the authority to, to establish what he wants. He, he can choose what he thinks is most valuable and what he wanted on earth. And mankind 
didn't succeed. It, it, was, it was ruined. The whole earth was wicked. Only thoughts, the only thoughts and intentions of their heart were evil and wickedness. And he regretted and he grieved in his heart that he had made man. So because it wasn't working, and it wasn't working for man too, by the way. I mean, their wickedness wasn't providing for their joy and happiness either. I mean, it just it was dysfunctional. And Yahweh said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things, and to birds of the sky, for I regret that I have made them. So God, because he has a mission, is going to start over. And he's going to seek to essentially give man another try to, to start over. And he's going to do it through Noah. And it says here, verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of God. What a beautiful thing it is to that Noah found this favor. And, and why is it that Noah found favor? So verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among those in his generations. And it says Noah walked with God. Now we've seen that earlier in the book of Genesis, to walk with God. What an important thing it is. Man, I hope that, you know, I walk with God for the rest of my life and that the the that who I am to this world and to God is that I am a man of God who has walked with God. Someone's walking by here with a uh, in McDonald's, sorry about the uh, background noise. But may we be known as a righteous man, blameless among those in his generations, and that we walked with God. Noah really stood out among the wickedness of mankind. It was like Noah was easy to see. Noah shined for God. Noah was a light to those around him. It's interesting, though, we learn later after this flood that Noah still had the problem of original sin that we all have and that Adam have, and by no means was Noah perfect, and we'll see that in the chapters to come. But he definitely stood out, and he definitely was more righteous than, than the people that were around him. I, I see that when I see verse 9. It says, he was blameless among those in his generation. Knowing what we know about Noah, I almost feel like, well, he wasn't perfect. But compared to the generation that was around him, he was so much better and he shined for God. Noah walked with God. And Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. Now the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Think of what our world would have been like in that day. It sounds just awful. And behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. It, it's hard for us to imagine how wicked and corrupt the world would have been that God saw fit to flood the earth in order to start over. Um, he needed to do this because mankind would not, uh, what, replicating what existed at that time would not be good for mankind. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence. Do you see how often he keeps repeating how bad the world was? Uh, the world is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. So now Noah is going to be asked, and he's going to get some instructions on building the ark. And what a 
it's hard to comprehend what that would have been like, being that we we haven't seen the floodwaters of rain from the sky before, and here Noah is bring, building this ark amidst a wicked generation. Um, there's so much thought that that you could kind of like perceive story-wise on how that would have looked. What are, what were people saying to Noah? Like, Noah, what are you doing? You crazy man. I mean, think of how long it would take to build this ark and the questions that people would have. And, you know, I wonder how much of a warning even just building the ark was to the people around him. Um, did he ask them to repent or did they just think he was crazy for what he was doing? But but God said, build a big ark and, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to bring animals and you're supposed to gather them into to the to the ark and one day i'm going to come and flood the earth and it says in verse 22 thus noah did according to all that god had commanded him so he did and what a remarkable man at this point to honor god in that way to do all that god had asked him to do he did um man what a honorable man May we be like Noah. May we walk with God. May we honor God. If God were to ask you or me to do something significant or challenging, may we take up the challenge and be inspired by Noah to fulfill that, what God would have for us to do. Well, in summary today, I just think, you know, it, some people really struggle with God flooding the earth. And I could see why some may struggle with that. But I really look at it and saying, hey, God put on this grand experiment to multiply mankind. And it, it, it so utterly failed. And because God wants to spread his goodness, his likeness in people throughout the nations, when it got that far gone, God knew that this was a solution that he needed to try. And yet, if you know the story, um, mankind is going to struggle to live for God and to, to fulfill the mission of God. And ultimately, that's what led us to the New Covenant area where he said, you know what? In order to make these people righteous who are unrighteous, I'm going to send Jesus Christ and I'm going to put my justice upon him I'm going to take out their unrighteousness on my son Jesus in order to make people right before me. God came up with a, another solution, and the solution was Jesus Christ. And now, in this new covenant era, we have so much greater ability to multiply the image and likeness of God because we're not alone. We have His Spirit in a more meaningful way where He resides inside of those who believe and strengthens us as a result to bear the image and likeness of God and to be more successful in his mission to multiply that on the earth. But ultimately, even now, as we look at the world and as we look at the earth, would we say that it's succeeding, that this mission of God uh, has been fulfilled? And I think we know the answer. No, it hasn't. No, it's not being fulfilled. Perhaps in communities, and to a greater degree, for surely, than in the days of Noah. But yet, there's so much wickedness in the world due to the sin problem that we still struggle with through Adam. And that's why we're waiting for the grand fulfillment one day, when God's going to bring about in the New Jerusalem what He 
has set out to accomplish, one day God will have a people under his rule and reign, and there will be beauty and goodness, and his image and likeness will be, real, will be reflected in the land. Uh, we look forward to that day. And, and until that day comes, we are to continue to, um, to struggle with God and to allow his Holy Spirit to help us to live for him and be faithful to him and walk with him until we go home or one day until he comes again. God bless you all. Thank you for listening. And let's continue our journey in the word of God through Genesis to know him better.